Welcome to Wellspring Church Podcast. We're an international church family who wants to see Jesus' love transform communities. This recording is a sermon from our Sunday service and will take you deeper into the Bible in a real and relevant way. Thank you so much um, for your prayers. Blown away by the kindness and the love um, that he's showing through you all. It's a real a blessing. And to those downstairs and those that are watching online, uh, if you've been praying for us, um, we are truly blessed and humbled by that reality. So thank you. I know people are fasting and praying. Amidst all that's happening in the world, we just are blown away. So thank you. Um, I've got some notes in front of me that I've prepared um, for this message, but I'm going to I'm going to be more faithful to what I sense the Lord doing in the room than my notes. Is that all right? Yes. Is that okay? Um, the, the heart that God's given us as a church family um, over this, um, as we stepped into 2023, is that, that he wanted to tell us what his agenda was for us as a church family. Um, that his desire and his heart is for us to, to become the kind of people he wants us to be, to, to build a sense of family, to build leaders, actually, that are able to stand against all the storms, leaders of integrity, leaders of honesty and of maturity, leaders that will put him first. Uh, and those, and that, that starts at the earliest stage, by the way. We're not talking ministers from a platform. We're talking about leadership as a quality of who God's made us as a church. Then we also looked at what does it mean for us to build a sense of home, and in this third series, we've been looking at what does it mean for us to, to build that sense of home uh, on the basis that where God dwells, then hope lives. And uh, we, we all want to, to be in the, the place of safety, of feeling at home with the Lord. In fact, the Lord wants to be at home with us. He wants to move in to our home, to our lives, to our everyday lives. He want that, wants to do that personally and individually. But today we're going to look at, he wants to do that in your home. Like where you live, in your bedsit, he wants to live there. In your lounge, he wants to dwell there. In your bedroom, he wants to abide there. In your bathroom, if you have a bathroom. In your, if you have a dining room. Anyone posh enough to have a dining room? <laughs> then he wants, to, he wants to dine there. He wants to dwell with us, live among us, in your household, in your family. That's his desire. If you like to make his home, and uh, this armchair is a kind of illustration of that, he, he wants to move in. He wants to tabernacle with us, to dwell with us. But, but there's a relationship between the armchair and the altar. And what we've been looking at on different levels, concentric circles, we've been looking at what does it mean um, for us to uh, recognize the place of the altar next to the armchair. Today I want to talk about the things in our lives that get in the way in our homes of having the Lord dwell with us in our households and our families. And I believe this message, for some of us, is going to be significant, in particular, uh, in about half an hour's time, something like that. Um, I imagine, this is what I picture in mind, if you live on your own, of you standing in God's presence with your arms held up, holding before the Lord everything that 
is precious to you and offering it to him. And if you're here with someone that's from your household, um, a spouse or family members or children, of you actually grabbing each other's hands and in the presence of God, committing yourselves again to the Lord to say, as for us, we're going to serve the Lord. So that's, that's what I've got in my mind and on my heart because I believe God wants to bring some correctives because we're so busy, as Helen said, often writing our own story that we forget the fact that he wants to write our households, our families into that great story. But we have a decision to make. We can either write our own careers or our own family story or we can participate in what he is writing, what he is doing because it's always good. Because he's the Lord. So I wonder if we recognize that in all of our homes, we all have an altar. Now, uh, are there any Ghanaians in the house today? Just raise your hand if you're a Ghanaian. Um, okay, uh, any other Ghanaians? Um, did any... Okay, so um, any, did, you grow any, did you grow up in the villages or in the cities? Cities. Okay, cities or village? In the village, okay. So um, I had the privilege uh, a while ago, maybe 2004 or five. This is a picture of me. Listen, that is actually me on the right, okay? <laughs> so, I don't know, what can I say? It's like, a, like wine. So, uh, so that's my dad on the left and uh, that's me. And uh, we were privileged. It was my third time, I think, to Ghana. Uh, it was his first, and it was his first time in a developing country. We were on a mission. We did some Bible teaching, and uh, actually, the evening of the day when this picture was taken, uh, I had the privilege of preaching the gospel outside the mosque uh, in in this village. Uh, that was a scary moment, um, but many people got saved. It was an awesome time. But uh, I, before that, we went to look around this lovely man's home, and he was like an elder in a village. Um, and, uh, and the greeting, I don't know if this was the same in your village, but was, nah. I was waiting for the second half of the word, you know, or that there was something else to be said. So what do we say back? Well, what you do is respond to you, you go, nah, or with the hands behind the back. I can't remember. Anyway, it's like a really amazing experience. It's like a step back in time. I don't say that. It really was like a step back centuries because you've got a feeling that not much has changed in centuries. Uh, and um, just the, near where the entrance is, the, the picture on the right there, um, you can see that the different huts are there. Now, um, the man uh, has his own hut, his own, his own dwelling place where he sleeps. And then each time he acquired a wife, he would build another mud hut for her. And so you can see he's got a couple there. Um, so, so he'd have a few children by his first wife and then... I guess a younger model came along, like 2.0 or something. And anyway, there was like wife two, wife three. And uh, so he had loads of children. Lovely, lovely man. He gave us a chicken, which is always good when it's live. And uh, you can't take it back to England. So we went into this um, village. And just I remember seeing, it's really imprinted in my memory, because um, they were near, he was a fisherman, and they were near a river. And uh, so just by kind of where that, Little, there was a nook just around there, just between a wall and one of the mud huts was, was a stone, like a, a clay pillar, and above it was an image of a fish, like kind of uh, made out of wood. And then, uh, then there was the smell of fish, 
that had been sacrificed uh, to the fish god, I guess. I didn't ask too much details. But actually, so when, I guess, when something was needed in the home, or maybe when he was just feeling grateful, or when he needed another wife, or whatever it was, um, he would actually bring um, a sacrifice, and he would put it, a piece of fish, on the altar. So there were fish bones all over it. And uh, I just remember, and I decided not to take a picture of it. I thought that would be disrespectful and probably I'd have to give the chicken back if I did that. So I decided not to do that. Um, but I was really struck by this because uh, of, of what it says. In fact, there's, there's nothing new about that. In fact, there's something ancient and timeless about people in their households putting their trust in things. You know, when you, if you don't have artificial light and all you see at night is, is the stars, then you're aware that, that you, can't, you don't really have much power. You become aware of how very small you are. And, and we tend to worship more when we're aware of our size the most, as in we become really aware. Do you know what? I can't even stop myself from getting malaria. I, can't, I cannot even guarantee that there's going to be enough fish in that river. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to worship. I'm going to put my trust in something bigger than myself, uh, something other than myself. And in fact, as we heard from Jeremiah, um, in history, many times people would make something themselves. Jeremiah mocks the woodcutter because he chops down, he's busy chopping down food all, uh, wood all day, sits by the fire that's made of wood. He burns loads of wood. He picks a piece of wood up and, uh, and he starts carving a face in it. And then he puts the wood there and then he bows down to what he's made. Um, and there's a mockery of that. The fact is we do that all the time. If we're not careful, we, we worship what we create. We worship ourselves. In fact, we all have an altar in our homes. And on that altar, we will lay down things. We'll give thanks to those things, even if it's just self-congratulation. Or we will we'll give our time to things. We'll give our talents to things. We'll give our treasure to things. And we all are tempted at times, all of us, at those things and those things that we give the best of ourselves to, the best of our life to, they tend not always to be the Lord. They tend to be things of our making. And Magdi talked last week, uh, and over the last week we've been talking about idolatry. And you think, well, what's wrong with idols? We, you know, we even, they've got American Idol. Pop Idol was the, the show before The X Factor, wasn't it? Oh, Pop We celebrate, oh, the so-and-so is one of my idols. Oh, Marcus Rashford is one of my idols. Uh, you know, we, we, we use that language. The fact is, anything that we celebrate and put up on a pedestal in our lives can, can be described as an idol. And when we need help, and when we need hope, where do we turn to? This is the question today. And there's an opportunity for us today, for all of us, to re-consecrate ourselves and rededicate our households and our families and say, do you know what? As for me and my family, we'll serve the Lord. The Roberts family have never had a greater test in all the trials we've been through than the last six weeks. Uh, it has been, I'd honestly say, it has been both beautiful and brutal. And when you face things, when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, it's not death, you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, then, then 
Where you turn to really matters. Who you turn to really matters. And we've decided, not because of our cleverness, but because actually we have nowhere else to go. The best doctors in the world are not able to solve this dilemma and problem we're in. Do you know what? We put our trust in the Lord. That's what we've decided to do. That's what we will do. And not just on Sunday mornings, church, but on Monday afternoons as well. And the middle of the night on Thursday, we will still put our trust in the Lord. And I'm inviting you in your household, in your family, uh, whatever you're going through, to put your trust in the Lord. Yes. That's the invitation today. Now, it'd be good for us to kind of burst some of this stuff a little bit in Scripture. And there, there's a particular valley that is of great significance in the story that God was writing with the people of Israel. Um, and it's called Shechem. And you can see there it's in the middle of Mount Geretzim and Mount Ebal. Uh, you can read a bit in Deuteronomy. It says about uh, one is blessing and the other is curse. All right, that's a, we haven't got time to go there. But in Genesis, there's a bit where the, in Genesis chapter 12, the Lord makes a promise to Abram and says, I'm going to bless your descendants. Where he made that promise was under a tree in this valley. And the response of Abram was to believe him and say, I believe you. Actually, I'm going to build an altar to Yahweh, to the Lord, the creator God, the one true God. He built an altar in that place. Two generations later, Jacob comes. This time he crosses the Jordan because it's quite near. It's the best place once you go across the Jordan uh, from uh, Succoth. You go come across there. It's the, the entry point into the land, if you like. It's like a gateway. When he gets there, then uh, he arrives and he, he does the same thing that his grandfather did, or great-grandfather, great-grandfather, uh, his grandfather did. He builds an altar uh, and he calls the altar God. This is the altar for God, the God of Israel. So this becomes a place of worship. Uh, this meeting point becomes a place of great significance. Within just... One chapter, there's an awful thing that it's not worth going into because we don't have time, but there's a terrible thing that happens. And the prince of Shechem, uh, he uh, rapes Dinah, who's Jacob and Leah's daughter. And then there's a trade-off that happens that's really awful. A whole bunch of men being, end up being circumcised as part of a deal that they're doing. Uh, but Simeon and Levi, um, they massacre all the men in this place in this same place. It's awful, really awful. And in response to that, Jacob feels convicted and wants to uh, do what the Lord is leading him to do. And the Lord says, now is the time for you to leave. I want you to leave this place. And before they leave, this is what happens. Then God said, this is from Genesis chapter 35. Then God said to Jacob, get ready and move to Bethel and settle there. Build an altar there to God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. So Jacob told everyone in his household, listen to what he said. And there's a hint here of what it means to truly be consecrated or dedicated to the Lord. He says, get rid of all your pagan idols. Purify yourselves and put on clean clothing. We're now going to Bethel, which means the house of the Lord. We're now going to Bethel, where I will build an altar to the God who answered my prayers when I was in distress. He has been with me wherever I have gone. So they gave Jacob all their pagan idols and earrings. I don't know why. Don't ask me. And he buried them under the great tree 
near Shechem. As they set out, a terror from God spread over the people in all of the towns of that area, so no one attacked Jacob's family. So this is a profound thing they did. They made a statement. Other people didn't understand. Why would they make such a profound thing? Imagine the fear of, if you think this piece of wood, this idol has power, imagine the fear of, well, how can you just put that in the ground? They took what other people trusted in and they showed it to be as powerless as it is. They took it off the shelf, off the pole, whatever it is, off the altar, and they buried it under a tree in this valley. A profound statement to bury the idols. I want to tell you today that even if there's even a hint of conviction in our hearts today, we need to bury our idols. And we need to say today, as a church family, we will not turn anywhere. We will not put our trust in anything except the Lord, the God of Israel. At times, we've all turned to idols and other things or other people or other powers to get us through, to give us help, to give us hope. And over the years, through tragedy and trials and tests, often the trials and tests are sent to us to challenge the degree to which we are dedicated to the Lord. The Lord is testing us, not because he doesn't love us, but because he does love us, because what he has for us is better than what any idol could ever deliver. Can I hear an amen? amen. Now, good news, our enemy trembles when our homes are set apart for the Lord. The enemy trembles because he cannot touch those who are set apart for the Lord. 400 years later, we're back in the same valley at Shekin. 400 years later. This becomes a significant point. And Joshua does something. This is the last thing that Joshua does. It's at the very end of Joshua. And in Joshua chapter 24, we're going to read just a few verses of an amazing story. And you'll see in this... That, that there's great boldness. It's the last bold thing that Joshua does before he dies. And he gathers together at this meeting point. And let's read it from verse 1. Then Joshua summoned all the tribes of Israel to where? To Shechem, including their elders, leaders, judges, and officers, and Instagram influencers. <laughs> so they came and they presented themselves to God. They came humble in heart. They came prepared. They came with a yielded spirit to the God. They came ready to listen to his word. And Joshua tells them a story. He says to the people, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Long ago, your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abram, and Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates River, and they worshipped other gods. But I took your ancestor Abram from the land beyond the Euphrates and led him to the land of Canaan. I gave him many descendants through his son Isaac. To Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau to Esau. I gave the mountains of Seir, while Jacob and his children went down into Egypt. Then I sent Moses and Aaron, and I brought terrible plagues on Egypt, and afterwards I brought you out as a free people. Hallelujah. But when your ancestors arrived at the Red Sea, the Egyptians chased after you with chariots and charioteers. When your ancestors cried out to who? To the Lord, to Yahweh, to the Lord, to Jehovah, the one we were singing to. When the Lord, they cried out to the Lord, I put darkness between you and the Egyptians. I brought the sea crashing down on the Egyptians, drowning them. With your very own eyes, you saw what I did. 
Then you lived in the wilderness for many years. Finally, verse 8, I brought you into the land of the Amorites on the east side of the Jordan. They fought against you, but I destroyed them before you. Listen to this. I gave you victory over them and you took possession of their land. Then Balak, son of Zippor, king of Moab, started a war against Israel. He summoned Balaam, son of Baal, to curse you, but I would not listen to him. Instead, I made Balaam bless you, and so I rescued you from Balak. When you crossed the Jordan River and came to Jericho, the men of Jericho fought against you, as did the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, and the Vegemites. But I gave you victory over them. Listen to this. And I sent terror ahead of you to drive out the two kings of the Amorites. It was not your swords or bows that brought you victory. Can we read that together? It was not your swords or bows that brought you victory. He says, I gave you land you'd not worked on. I gave you towns you didn't build. The towns where you are now living. I gave you vineyards and olive groves and for food, though you did not plant them. So what's the response? I think this is where Joshua steps in. He says, so fear the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly. That means with an undivided affection. That means with all of you. So serve the Lord. Look, look what he's done. I've just told you a story of all these incredible things. The Lord's just reminded us, I did this for you and I did that for you. And it wasn't this and it wasn't you and it wasn't you. It was me. It was me. It was me. Look what I did. Look what I did. So then Joshua says, so serve and fear the Lord and serve him heartily. Put away forever the idols your ancestors worshipped when they lived beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt. Maybe some of them had, had got one. Maybe they were hedging their bets. Maybe they had some other options. Well, if God doesn't come through, as in if the Lord doesn't come through, well, we've always got the thing that Aunt Mabel gave us. You know, that they said, we'll get it out of the suitcase. We'll, we'll get it out the corner of the room from under the bed. And, and if the Lord doesn't deliver us, then we've always got this, right? We, could, we've always, we always get a piece of fish and put it under a, a fish. We could always try that, right? This is what the Lord says. No, get rid of those things. This is what Joshua says. But if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. Would you prefer the God your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates, or will it be the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live? But as for me and my family, we'll serve the Lord. Oh. As for me and my family, we'll serve the Lord. You choose. You choose. You choose in your home who gets served. When we make career choices, we choose. When, when we decide where to live, we're making a choice. When we decide what to do with our money, with our time, with our treasure, we choose. And it's a really binary thing here it's either the Lord or it isn't and here Joshua is saying even to us today so fear the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly because trials will come your way tests will come the future is uncertain in terms of what the world will throw at you it is or you can make a decision today as for you and your house who will you serve? Who will you fear? And I love that Joshua stands there with all these influences and leaders all around. And maybe at that point, he grabs his wife and his kids, I don't know. 
Maybe he grabs them. Maybe it's all an all-male occasion. Who knows? But he stands there in front of the people and he says, As for me and my family, we serve the Lord. As for me and my house and my servants or whatever and all my wives, whatever, however, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And, and I stand here just as Tim and Helen and we say, as for us and our house, we'll serve the Lord. So what's the response of the people? The people replied, we would never abandon the Lord and serve other gods. <laughs> for the Lord our God is the one who rescued us and our ancestors from slavery in the land of Egypt. He performed mighty miracles before our very eyes. Remember, some of them, the older ones, the, the older generation, they had seen incredible things. He performed mighty miracles. He said, as we traveled through the wilderness among our enemies, he preserved us. It was the Lord who drove out the Amorites and the other nations living here in the land. So we too will serve the Lord, for he alone is our God. You know, and they say, and he's like, oh, great, of course they say that. And it's really easy to say that. And even when we pray in a few minutes, it's going to be really easy to pray that. On a Sunday morning, surrounded by people saying, Amen, brother. Amen, sister. Listen to... <laughs> Thank you. Listen. Then, in the context of when a covenant is cut, there are always stipulations. In other words, when a promise is made, there's always the consequence of the breaking of the promise. So, so they say, oh, of course, we're with you. We're with you, Joshua. Then this is what Joshua says. He warns the people. He says, you are not able to serve the Lord, for he is holy and a jealous God. He will not forgive your rebellion and your sins. If you abandon the Lord and serve other gods, he'll not, he will turn against you and destroy you, even though he's, seen, he's been so good to you. You know, Joshua lays it down. Just so you know, this is serious, this moment. There's a consequence to making promises in the presence of a holy God. But the people answered Joshua. This is their reply again. I love this. No, we will serve the Lord. I sense what God's doing in us as a church family is he's inspiring words like that in our homes. Not just in our songs when we gather for worship, but in the worship of our homes, you know, that we would say, we will serve the Lord. In how we spend our time, we will serve the Lord. In what we do with our money, with our treasure, we will serve the Lord. In the decisions we make, the career choices, in the way we treat the people around us, people not like us, people we don't like, to say we will serve the Lord. In other words, there's this huge story being written and we will yield our desire to write our own chapters and we will yield to the one who is the author and perfecter of our lives, the beginning and the end. Would we trust our story, in this case as the Roberts family, to the big story of a trillion Roberts families. You understand there's trillion families. Ours is a tiny, tiny pinprick of relative insignificance, but when it's in the hands of the Lord, he can do a lot. So the people say, no, we will serve the Lord. Joshua says, you're a witness to your own decision. 
you have chosen to serve the Lord, just so you know, you just said something big. It's a bit like, uh, I've stood here many times uh, doing weddings. I love doing weddings. And it's the, the role of the, the, the officiant, the minister, to once vows have said, said, you have made some vows. By the way, I heard them. They were here. Does everyone else has heard them? You've said these to each other. Uh, now, everyone, we've all heard these vows, haven't we? It's that kind of moment. Yes, we are witnesses to what we have said. We are witnesses. All right, then Joshua said, destroy the idols among you. Turn your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. People said to Joshua, we will serve the Lord our God. We will obey him alone. So listen, Joshua made a covenant with the people that day at Shechem, committed them to follow the degrees and regulations of the Lord. Joshua recorded these things in the book of God's instructions. As a reminder of their agreement, listen to this, he took huge stone and he rolled it, where? Beneath the terebinth tree beside the tabernacle of the Lord. There's a tree under the tree is under layers of dust and dirt from hundreds of years ago, is a pile of idols that were discarded. He brings a a stone and he places it here and he says this. He says, this stone has heard everything the Lord said to us. It will be a witness to testify against you if you go back on your word to God. If in your hearts you maybe move the stone away and dig out the idols again. The Lord sees. Then Joshua sent all the people away to their own homelands. Go home. Go now and live this out. Go now and practice this. Go now and put this into practice. And you see, the reason we give the Lord all our time and talent and treasure, the reason we do that is not because of something we hope he'll do for us. And it's not because of something he did for us. We give everything to him because he is. Yes? We don't worship him. Like Magdi said last week, he's not not a vending machine. Or was it two weeks ago? He's not a vending machine. We don't put praise in to get favor out. Yes? We praise him because he's worthy of praise. God is good. Do we have to understand what's going on in our lives? Not really. He's good. Do we understand? No. Is he good? Yes. Does it feel awful at times? Yes. Will we praise him? Yes. Can we number our own days? No. Will we praise him? Yes. Yes, we will. Because he is. Not because of what he did or we hope he'll do, but because he is. In John chapter 6, Jesus, everyone's been loving Jesus so far. What if the band could come and join me? In John chapter 6, everyone's been loving Jesus. He's done loads of miracles. Then Jesus starts to be a bit more controversial. And he describes himself as the bread of life. And if you're if you're hearing him, like, that's really controversial, right? So he's gone from being the, the flavor of the month to now being a really dangerous teacher because of what he's saying about himself. And it says this in, in John chapter 6, verse 66. At this point, many of his disciples, listen, many of his disciples, all the people that had, had temporarily put their jobs away, 
temporarily left their homes. They're camping out in some makeshift camp just to hear Jesus. They've given up a lot already. Many of them, of his disciples, turned away and deserted Jesus. Then Jesus turned to the twelve, to his closest posse, and listen to this. He asked them, are you also going to leave? Are you going to leave as well? In other words, you can if you want to. All these other people don't like what they're hearing from me now. Are you going to leave? And Peter utters these famous words, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. We believe and we know you are the Holy One of God. Peter declares from his heart, where else would we go? You're the Holy One of God. You're the God of Israel. Jesus, we see you, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. You are the Lord. And having seen you, Jesus, we have nowhere else to go. We are ruined for the worship of your name. We have nowhere else to go. Not to the Romans, not to the Jewish religion, not just back to their homes, not back to their own careers, not back to their own abilities, not even to their... They said, we have nowhere else to go. I invite you, dear friends, brothers and sisters, it is time for us in our families to agree we have nowhere else to go except to put our trust in the Lord. We don't know where our next paycheck is coming from. We don't, but we'll trust the Lord. We don't know for sure how we're going to pay the rent or the mortgage. We don't, but we're going to trust in the Lord. We don't know whether our kids will get into the school we want them to get into or what kind of education they'll have. We don't even know what kind of world they're going to grow up in, do we? We don't know, but we'll trust in the Lord. (laughs) We'll trust in the Lord. We will trust in the Lord. As for us, we will trust in the Lord. God's heart is to dwell in your home. In fact, he wants your home to be a place of worship. He wants your living room to be a church. Can I hear an amen? He wants your bedroom to be a place where he's honored. He wants your bathroom to be filled with singing in a shower. No, maybe not. That's just my thoughts. Um, he, he, he wants where you dwell to be a church. Not just this building here. A place of worship. So I invite you. And you, know, you might find some tools helpful with this. I understand that. If you don't use Lectio 365, it's a brilliant prayer app. Ten minutes prayer each day, personally really helpful. They've just come out for one for families. Lectio 365 for families. And you can have a shared devotional just for ten minutes. I think that's brilliant. There's loads of other resources around there. Whatever is actually practically helpful to you, uh, what would it mean for you even in this week to make a change and to make your home a place of worship? Let the Lord inspire your thoughts. Get rid of the idols. Turn off some screens. If you've got any physical idols in the house, just get rid of them just to be safe, right? Bury them under a tree somewhere and decide to never dig them up again. He is the Holy One of God. And He deserves our praise. And you see, where God dwells, hope lives. Where God dwells, there is peace. You want peace in your home? Worship the Lord. You want peace when you look to the future and to the week ahead? Put your trust in the Lord. Where else would you go?
Now I'm going to invite you as we sing this song and then we're going to finish by singing the blessing over each other. Before that, I, I'm just going to invite you to do something here. I hope this is going to be okay. I'm going to invite the Holy Spirit to make it okay. Is if you're here on your own today and, and you know there's some stuff you need to deal with between you and the Lord, that when you get home, you need to make some changes or even this week, change your routine. If there's something you need to do, then then consecrate yourself and say, God, I want to make my home again a place where you come first. And if you're here and in this room or downstairs in the room where you are, um, if there's someone that you came with, someone from your household, a son, a daughter, uh, a family member, I want you to grab their hand and we're going to pray together. And we're just going to agree together. As for us, as for us and our house, we're going to praise the Lord. Is that okay? So why don't you grab someone's hand or just, uh, in fact, let's stand together. Let's do that. If you can stand, I invite you to stand. And at home, I'm praying that you'll be aware of the presence of God where you are right now. So grab a hand and we're going to pray. Let's pray where we are right now. Let's lift our voices before we go into song. Lord Jesus, you are the Holy One of God. We have nowhere else to go. And so God, we say today, as for me and my family and as for us and our families, we'll put our trust in you, Lord. We choose today to put our trust in you. And even as we do that, we call back all those prodigals, those that have drifted away from your presence, God. We call them back in Jesus' name. For all those that we long to worship with us again, we say, God, we we call them back in Jesus' name. And we pray, God, that you would make our homes holy. We pray that you'd make our every room in our homes full of your presence, God. And we pray, God, you'd help us to push away everything that distracts us from you. Everything we put our trust in that isn't you. And we say today, bless our homes. Just where you are, friends, brothers and sisters, just ask the Lord in your own language. Just bless, the, just bless your home. Lord, bless our home. Bless our home. We're going to sing together. Bless our home, Lord. Fill our home. Fill our home. Bless our family. Bless our family. Bless our homes in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening. We hope you've been blessed and encouraged by what you've heard. If you'd like to know more about Jesus, Wellspring Church, or how you can grow with others in faith, connect with us by clicking the link in the episode description or joining us on Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m. in person and online.